Hey folks, and welcome to yet another horror hookup with Frygate the 13th Horror Podcast. I'm Maddie. And I'm Andrew. And we are here today with some of the creative team from the new horror film, 1BR, which is like one bedroom, right? Um, A lot of us live in those. Andrew, I believe you have a synopsis of the film. Take it away. Yes, after leaving behind a painful past to follow her dreams, Sarah scores the perfect Hollywood apartment. But something is not right. Unable to sleep, tormented by strange noises and threatening notes, her new life quickly starts to unravel. By the time she learns the horrifying truth, it's too late. Caught in a waking nightmare, Sarah must find the strength to hold on to her crumbling sanity or forever be trapped in an, an, an existential hell. And by existential hell, the film does not mean quarantine, trust me. Um, it's, it's a chilling film, and we honestly think that all of you will love it too. And listeners, we do promise we'll try to keep this interview as spoiler-free as possible. And with that, we are pleased to welcome Alok Mishra, the producer, David Marmer, the writer and director, and Naomi Grossman, who plays Janice in the film. But you probably have also heard of her before as Pepper from American Horror Story. One BR family, welcome to Friday the 13th. Hi. Thank How's you. It going? Thank you guys for having us. Of course. Yeah, thank of you course. all. Thank you all for joining us. Um, and, you know, when I watched One BR last week, um, I was watching it from my own 1BR here in Chicago, um, and during the isolation of this pandemic we find ourselves in, it was a little, I don't know, maybe more terrifying for me. Um, so Dave, this is a, a question for you um, as the writer and director. Um, can you tell us a bit about what it was like to create this story before the pandemic? <laughs> and I'm wondering now how the lens of the pandemic might make the story even more prescient, more terrifying. Uh, well, so, you know, it, when I created it, it, it was kind of a personal story, really. It, 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 the, the original seed of it came out of my experiences when I moved to L.A., and I was sort of similar to Sarah in that I was I was not a confident person. I, I felt very lost and isolated, um, and I was living in an apartment kind of like the one in the movie, and and sort of collecting up the weird and surreal experiences that were happening to me there. Um, so that was really the beginning of it. So it, it began as just kind of a, a a a riff or like kind of a nightmare version of of how I felt as a, as a, you know, a young person arriving in LA. Um, and that's kind of what it was, you know, I, I felt like, you know, as the story developed in, in my head and as we, you know, moved into production, it, it, you know, as often happens when I'm rewriting something, I'm learning about it and it, it acquired some more sort of metaphorical overtones, um, as it went, but, nothing, you know, obviously none of us could have predicted um, that it was going to come out right at this exact moment uh, in time. 
Uh, and yeah, it, it's a little bit hard, you know, because I've been living with it for so many years and have seen it so many times um, <laughs> that it's a little bit hard for me to kind of wrap my head around what it would be like to see it for the first time in the current mm. cultural context. Um, so I don't, I don't particularly have a good answer to that. What I can say though, is that like, you know, when, when all this started happening as our release was coming, it did strike me that, you know, we, what we have essentially is a movie about a being isolated and, and alone and b um, the kind of tension between the individual and the community around them, um, which are both particularly relevant right now, I guess. <laughs> yeah, big time. Yeah, gosh. Um, so, um, Naomi, your portrayal of Janice uh, in the movie 1BR was particularly chilling um, just because kind of like all the characters or the other actors in the movie, you were so on board and incredibly dedicated to this like system that was put in place. Um, tell us a bit about your preparation for this role. I mean, a lot of our listeners know you as Pepper from American Horror Story, um, but it was so much fun to see you in a different kind of role. So can you talk to us a little bit about that? Well, yeah, I mean, it was fun to use my own face. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's exciting. <laughs> um, uh, you know, uh, it was, um, it wasn't, uh, out of the ordinary preparations. Um, I mean, it wasn't like I was taking on like, you know, uh, uh, for example, I mean, it was nothing like having to emulate a real life microcephalic from 80 years ago or, uh-huh. uh, uh, you know, take on an affliction or, you know, it, so mm. in a lot of ways, it was much, it was much simpler. You know, I, mm-hmm. I was, uh, I mean, I am not Janice. <laughs> it's always weird to me when <laughs> people God. are like, oh, it's so nice to see you playing yourself. And I'm like, uh, no, I am not a cult leader's <laughs> wife. Um, but, uh, but you know, physically anyway, she was obviously much closer to me. Um, mm-hmm. So in that regard, a lot of the, you know, my work was much easier. Um, although I, I kind of, I like to be a chameleon. I like to kind of um, uh, transform myself. So... Um, uh, although, actually, now that I think about it, Janice's hair was quite COVID-like. Um, <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, I mean, I read the script, and I um, obviously loved it. Um, uh, and it was just why I came on. But Can I, can I just say, like, I've, I've known Naomi Grossman. We're friends, actually. And we were friends before this entire thing. I've known her for, like, 20 years. And she was so nice to do this movie. And then she was even nicer because we did, you know, we had a 15 day shoot. It was very tight. But then we got to come back. We were fortunate enough to come back and do uh, some reshoots, which were four days long. It just so happened they were happening during the time of the Emmys. And Naomi Grossman was nominated for an Emmy. And we needed her back. And she still came back during all the Emmy stuff. Like, you should be like, oh, this is amazing. I'm going to these, like, suites to pick up amazing bags of this (laughs) and whatever. But you're like, I'm missing that day at the suite because I'm coming to shoot your movie again, Mishra. And so I was, like, so grateful that she did this and was in in the midst of that came back for us and helped us. God, and we're, and we're grateful, too. And Alok, actually, thank you for coming in there because the next question's for you. And, you know, producing the film at 
anytime is a challenge, um, but it also has to be a blast. Uh, and our listeners, they're all film lovers. Obviously, they wouldn't be listening to a, a show about horror movies. Um, but I think it would be fun for folks to hear a little bit more about what it is a producer actually does. And I know, because I used to produce theater here in Chicago, but tell folks here on the show, how many hats does a producer wear? Um, and is producing a horror film different than other genres? I think that if you really boil it down to producing independent film, it's called independent mm-hmm. film what it is, mm-hmm. like you wear a thousand different hats as a producer. Yep. I mean, and especially like a first-time producer, which, which myself and my uh, producing partner Shane Worcester were, um, you know, you're casting one day, the next day you're going to get some feminine energy drink for an actress <laughs> who will later, later drop out of your not film. Me. Not me. Not, well, not you. Obviously, you were here, but like there was another actress who was supposed to play our Sarah character who was like a bigger TV actress, and we can't say who because of libel and whatever. Sure, but, sure. But we would say like she's she dropped no, out. She has zero career. Her career has like flatlined since this it's, all it's, happened. It's, it's, it's not true at all. It's only gone up, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. But no, I'm kidding. We wish her well. But the point of it is that, like, you know, I was off getting feminine energy drink at a Gelson's when I got the news that she had dropped yeah. out and I was losing my mind. So that's one thing, you know, being Gunga Din for a goddamn energy drink, like, let's say. <laughs> In addition to that, you got to, you know, figure out if, if, if for some reason the, um, everyone hates the, the catering that day. Get a new caterer. We got to get a new caterer. You know, you, so you do do a bunch of different things. And then even after it's over, I'll say this, and in post-production has its own life where you're obviously looking at the film and doing different things. And if you need to do reshoots, you have to help organize that. And then even after that, when you get into your sort of festival circuit and whatever else, like I was doing like, you know, I was trying to like plan our festival trajectory and like trying to like get all these festival directors to take our small film, even though we didn't know anybody. Cause let's, I mean, let's be honest. A lot of it's sometimes knowing somebody, you know, yeah, to sure, get into certain festivals uh, or even like when you've gotten into a good festival, trying to campaign for other festivals that you want to get into and just kind of sending sort of cold emails to people, blind emails. And, um, and so, you know, so there's that. And then even after that, like even in the situation we're in now, like I, I was telling you, like, I'm doing our Twitter and our uh, and our Facebook page, <laughs> like, so it doesn't quite end uh, in, in that regard. You wear a lot of hats, uh, but uh, I think more so when you're an independent film producer versus being sort of more like you know a bigger budget film yeah, where you have sure. people to help you out with these things, you know. So yeah, that's I think it's about being independent versus you know being small budgeted, being bigger budgeted. Well, you're doing a great job. Keep all those hats on. They <laughs> oh, they I, look great on you. Thank you. Fantastic. <laughs> Um, now, Dave, um, I know that there were kind of multiple real life cults that kind of sparked your interest when you started creating One BR. Um, can you tell us a little bit about uh, which cults were kind of compelling to you, and what elements from them, you know, people can look to kind of see in the film? Uh, yeah, I I've been sort of obsessed with cults for a long time, um, and especially I think when I moved to LA and realized that so many of the ones that we are familiar with started here or had some kind of connection to, to LA. Um, so the, the, the group that's most directly kind of, uh, referenced in the movie, um, was an organization called Synanon. It's S Y N A N O N, um, that started in LA in the, in the late fifties. Um, and the thing that I found really fascinating about them, um, was something I, I tried to emulate with the community in the movie, which was that, you know, if you looked at it on paper, when they began, 
they had really very positive, very pure motivations. Mm. Um, they began as a drug rehab. Um, and this was a time when, you know, not, not that drug addiction is not stigmatized now, but it was extremely stigmatized back then. And, you know, there was no understanding of the kind of medical conditions underlying it. Um, and nowhere really for people to go for help. Um, so, you know, this really filled a need in the community. Mm. Um, and then it kind of slowly turned bad. And it's just a really, to me, that's a really fat, like, I feel like there's a story to be told there, you know, about sort of watching something like this and what are the steps and why that happens. But I got really fascinated with them, um, you know, as an example of, of something that started out with really um, noble aims. And then mm -hmm. through some combination of the leader being probably a sociopath or narcissistic <laughs> or something, and just, you know, circumstances, they they kind of became insular and the leader decided that nobody would ever really be cured of, of their addiction, which is possibly there's some fact to that. But his solution was everybody needs to live here. Hmm. And then it became kind of a prison in a way. Um, and then they started to clash with the outer outside community, which you also see a lot with mm -hmm. various different um, groups. They start to feel persecuted and then they feel like they can, like anything they do is justified to protect themselves. Um, and they ended up, um, this is just a little aside cause I think it's pretty amusing. They ended up, um, kind of having to flee LA because they were in trouble with the law and they moved up to the Bay area and I think bought like a big ranch up there. And around that time, the cult leader who was getting increasingly, um, erratic decided that everybody had to shave their heads, male and female. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, and this was in the mid seventies or maybe early seventies. And it was around the time that George Lucas, who was based in the Bay area was making THX 1138, his first oh, feature. Yeah. And he needed a whole bunch of bald extras. And so all oh the extras gosh. in that movie are synonym numbers. Shut the fuck oh, up no. right now. <laughs> totally true. <laughs> That's, so, yeah. that's wild. Okay, well, there's another mind-blowing thing to know about. Um, there's, there's another uh, idea for an episode coming up, oh, Manny. Sure. We, we, we've done one on cults, but we can follow it up with that now. Um, there you go. So, um, that's really cool to know, Dave. Thank you for that. Uh, of course. Naomi, um, you know that you're on a show called Fry Gay, the 13th Horror Podcast. Um, we look at horror from an LGBT perspective. And a lot of our listeners are, of course, of the community and in the community. Um, including, of course, me and Andrew. Um, and we know that you've been involved in activism and advocacy for our community. Um, and uh, I would love for you to talk a little bit about the work that you've done in the LGBT community. Um, and tell us a little bit about why it's been important in your life. Ooh. Um, oh, gosh, where to begin? I mean, ah. Uh... <laughs> You know, I don't know which came first, the chicken or the egg. Like, I, you know, obviously American Horror Story is a huge, um, uh, you know, a very popular show in the gay community. Uh, and obviously Pepper, especially, I think. I think, um, uh, you know, she's obviously a very marginalized character. And I think people mm -hmm. who, uh, you know, identify with her. Um, uh, I mean, I can always tell, like, when I go to Comic-Cons, I can spot my fans from the rest like a mile away you know what of i mean course. like the the scary guys wearing the you know black t-shirts and all the piercing like they're lining up for you know jason and freddie but like <laughs> the sweet little gay boys and and young girls you know are, are coming for me totally. um 
but so I, you know, obviously that helped, but I think even before that, like I've always sort of just been like a little bit Liza, a lot of Babs, like, so, uh, you know, a little bit like, I mean, I am, we are broadcasting from um, my uh, uh, condo in WeHo, you know, with my hot pink convertible smart car parked outside, which was once, like, starred in a a gay parade when I accidentally made a wrong turn on a Santa Monica. Uh, You know, I mean, my second bedroom is just for wigs and shoes. Um, Like, I've just, like, always been this person. So, um... It kind of, like I said, I can't really tell when it began and when it, well, it hasn't ended. Um, It never will. But, um, (laughs) yeah, I don't know. I guess um, I, I, you know, I am born female, but if I hadn't, I I would be RuPaul. Um, (laughs) That's just who I am. Like, I, I feel like, you know, the gays just have more fun and, and so do I. So I think I, um, I identify. (laughs) And you know what, hey, you know, actually, thank you for that. And that that was wonderful. And thank you for all the stuff that you do for our community, because we really very much appreciate it and love you for it, of course, and love you in general, but love you especially for that. And a question actually for all of you is is a follow up to this. You know, thinking of 1BR as a horror film, you know, I'm a gay horror freak. So is Andrew. Um, a lot of our listeners are. The gay community is just one that is uh, gaga for horror, right? Um, and we, we, we have our own ideas on why we think that is. But I, I would love to hear from any of you. Why do you think the LGBT community and the horror community just go together so well? I don't know. I think that there's a. Um, I think that people that are into horror, um, they are not necessarily mainstream, and they go for things that are sort of more exciting, creative, interesting in a lot of ways. I think because I love horror, and I think that's maybe some of it too. Where there's a certain outsider sort of a feeling that that sometimes is thrust upon you know people that are LGBTQ. Um, I, I think that there is a sort of a, I mean, I, I think there's a, a, a place like, I mean, they love Naomi Grossman, for example, right? Like they, they are so into her and there's something sort of almost sadly damaged and she's sort of like, um, she feels like she's almost an underdog, but they cheer for that. And I mm-hmm. think that that's the whole thing about, you know, somebody who's being, you know, chased down the hallway with an ax or whatever. Well, they're certainly, you know, <laughs> running for their lives and like trying to fight for their lives. And I think that's a lot of it. That they identify with that kind of character sometimes. That's well, and I just think the gays have like great taste, (laughs) not just because I they appreciate me, but just in I mean, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, West Hollywood is among the nicer neighborhoods in Los Angeles. Sure, Um, you know, and and it's because they sort of take pride in their. surroundings and appearance and in our community right we take pride in our community I mean like yeah. you, you you can look in Chicago for example where of course we both live and you can track the movement of the LGBT community and follow the beautification of things it's, it's an interesting <laughs> it's a very interesting yeah. moment to watch right the LGBT <laughs> people and artists are the ones who start the start the process in every in every neighborhood that, that comes up um, fun fun fact, uh, the apartment that this is based on was in West Hollywood. That's where oh, I lived at the time. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't have any particular insight into this, but if I had a guess, I would say that maybe it has something to do with the fact that, like, um, I think that horror, when it's at its best, at least the, the movies that I love the best, tend to be, they have, like, a sly way of making social commentary, saying something about society that would be hard to say otherwise. And I think that people that have been in communities that have been historically marginalized are attuned to that. Um, you know, uh, the, the black community, uh, African-American community, actually I think a lot of communities of color are very big consumers of, mm. of horror as well, um, which is why it's so great to see, you know, filmmakers like Jordan Peele really, you know, becoming yeah. a big deal now. But I think that maybe it has something to do with that. Um, mm. You know, you look back as far as like Night of the Living Dead, um, which was oh, yeah. you know, really like making some really harsh critiques about about our society and about the, the Vietnam War, but in a way that might go under the radar. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's just a that's off the top of my head. Yeah, I was going to also say that the fans like like just for American Horror Story, for example, like we would go with I'd go with Naomi to some of her friends uh, to like what was the name of the bar. They'd have a watching party just because of American Horror Story for just like mm-hmm. whatever. That's very common. In most cities, there's that. Yeah. But yeah, it's true. Every, um, uh, well, it, when we were shooting in New Orleans, uh, they would host us every Wednesday. You know, we needed, we wanted to watch the episode too. That's uh, so cool. And so, uh, you know, we were all living like in a hotel. It was essentially like this freak dorm. So, you know, we didn't have cable. So we, uh, it was great. It was actually this, um, yeah, it was a clothing optional country club in New Orleans. (laughs) Of course. Uh, Gay, of course. Uh, um, And yeah, we, we would gather there and watch and They'd get us drunk. And then, of course, uh, once uh, the show had wrapped um, and we came back to L.A., say, we had the same treatment here in, um, in Los Angeles. And, and I, I've, I've encountered that everywhere, in fact. Um, That's awesome. I've been in New York and, you know, hey, will you come to this bar? We're showing the episode? Sure. So I would be surprised if... I don't think they're just doing this for me. I mean, <laughs> I'm flattered if they are, but they might well, Naomi. I, I, we we went to Alok and I went to the far reaches of northern France, and uh, several of your fans came out to see the movie. Yeah, it was like <laughs> wow. we were in the, we, were we the, hung out we with them. The they French, were great. We were in the yeah. French Alps, like I mean, just away, like I mean, a snowy town, and like they're oui, like, oui, where is Naomi? <laughs> Now, Dave, to all, um, pardon to all of our French listeners. There we go. <laughs> Andrew, go ahead. So this Janice is going to have a bigger role in the sequel. Right? I mean, she did. She did. Right? Well, we, don't no, say, we don't want to say what no, happened no spoil, to her. No spoilers, right, but it's like, possible. Yeah. Um, kind of getting back to 1BR, um, I, at least I did. I noticed a lot of influences from other horror movies that maybe you were emulating. Maybe it was just kind of a thing that I noticed. But, um, you know, hints of like Rosemary's Baby, um, The Invitation just from just a couple years ago. Um, could you maybe tell us a little bit about your influences as a filmmaker and how it kind of influenced 1BR? Yeah, well, I mean, it, you know, it's it's no it's no secret that I think anybody who's making a a horror movie set in an apartment is going to be influenced by uh, Polanski's 
apartment trilogy. So that's Repulsion, Rosemary's Baby, and The Tenant. Uh, and probably there's there's it's sort of an equal split between all three of those actually in terms of influences here. Um, but, uh, so that, that was certainly an influence. Um, another influence that, that might not be as obvious to see, but was, was pretty important when I was kind of studying how I wanted to make this movie was, um, Darren Aronofsky's movie, Black Swan. Oh yeah. Um, which is, you know, it has a kind of a similar, um, viewpoint in the sense of you have this, this protagonist, um, and, and it's an extremely subjective point of view. You're very much just in her, you know, everything is, is filtered through her worldview. Um, and I thought the way he did that in that movie was so brilliant. Um, so I, I really studied that. Um, there, you know, obviously like, um, th- there, there are, I think like sort of just as a filmmaker, you, you collect up ideas and images and things from the, the people you admire. Sure. Um, and I think, you know, when I watch it, there weren't, there weren't sort of intentional nods, but I think there are like, there's quite a bit of Michael Haneke in some of, of this, you know, I'm mm-hmm. a big fan of, of what he does. Although I, I hopefully am not quite as chilly or provocative a filmmaker as he is. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I think, you know, there, there were definitely hints of cachet going on here um, and you know, I, I like almost probably everybody who went to, ever went to film school. I have a big soft spot for Kubrick. Um, and you know, so I think there's certainly some, some of, of actually probably more of the, more a clockwork orange than, than mm-hmm. the shining in this one. Mm-hmm, but sure. even some of the angles, I feel like I, I kind of stole subconsciously from, from that movie. And a movie about cults, Right. And it's a time of great division and giant fuckery and stupidity in our country. Um, and a time, you know, especially right now, even when truth and facts are entirely confused and there seem to be two sides who think this is one and this is another. So a question for all of you. Um, I know this you know, may not have been completely on your mind when you made the film, but you know, why this film now? Why? What about... 1BR is the most terrifying now in the reality that we're living in. I mean, I can tell you just not thinking for yourself. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's a huge thing. It's funny, this film, like, I don't, we've talked about this, Dave and I, and it's not even a thing where we thought that, there's been people that look at this film and think it's some sort of like commentary on socialism. They think it's commentary on Trump and all this good stuff, and we're like, you take it as you want, but it wasn't something that was our main intention to set out to try to make something. There's like one of the IMDb reviews is just like socialism, like da, 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 like this whole thing. They like the film, but they're just like this is haunting. This is haunting me, <laughs> like, okay. because of that wow. reason, right? So I mean, people have different interpretations. Is my point? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and and I think that as far as this time and place, I mean, listen, we could not have predicted this coronavirus thing and the quarantine angle of it you know i mean there's so many people that are like wow this is even scarier because of the time that we're living in now like it's become a real sort of like you know a thing like that they they consider when they were viewing a film and stuff so i definitely see that you know we couldn't have predicted that in some way but that's that's my answer sorry Um, yeah i mean this is 
such a weird time, but at least we don't live in that apartment. Like, it's awful, <laughs> but at least we're not there, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's a fair point, honestly. Yeah. It really is. It, it is a fair point. You know, you're not at the point yet where, you know, your proverbial hands are, you know, attached to the wall. We'll leave yeah. it at that. But, yeah. <laughs> Look, I, I mean, I, I hope that, 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 you know, it could be um, – you know, in this immediate moment, it could be a little bit of a, of an escape. Like, you know, it's, it, I don't want to make the movie sound like homework. Um, you know, I, I think it is a, a, hopefully a cathartic experience to, to go through. Um, but, you know, taking out sort of the immediate COVID situation, like when I, when we were making it and when I was thinking like, you know, it, does this movie, like, is, is it worth making this movie now? Um, because I, I wrote the original draft a long time ago, and I had put it away for many years and then got it back out um, and rewrote it. And, I, you know, even at that time, I was sort of struggling with, like, you know, does this feel relevant? And, and to me, the answer that I settled on was, was that I feel like, you know, and, and this, is, this was a few years ago now, and it's only gotten worse since then, is this sense that, you know, I, it does feel like our sense of community cohesion as a nation is kind of fraying. Um, we've sorted ourselves into different areas. And, you know, we're, like you said, we're not speaking the same language. We're not viewing the same reality in some ways. And so to me, the, 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 the horror of this movie, the scary part of this movie is, is, you know, is craving that and not being able to find it. And Sarah ending up seeking it in really, the, you know, the, the worst possible place. Um, but I think to, to me, that's sort of the, the, the overall relevance of it um, in the larger sense of today um, is that, you know, I think we are, at least I have, you know, sort of been seeking that sense of community and finding it very hard to find in, in the modern world. Absolutely. Yeah, um, that's interesting. But yeah. the timing couldn't be better in a way. I mean, as much mm -hmm. as I would have loved to have gotten dressed up and, you know, walked a red carpet for the, the movie, you know, I mean, Alok last year was on a plane, like every, it was like, it was like, where's Waldo? Where's Alok? Like he was literally <laughs> jetting from, I mean, this, this film was at every festival in the world. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, amazing, like you couldn't do that now. And now yeah. there's like literally nothing to do but stream 1BR right now. Like yeah, no one totally. has an excuse to not be watching. Hopefully. <laughs> no, I was gonna, Did you hear that, everybody? Did you hear that? Yeah. Like, like had, what else are you doing, honestly? Yeah. <laughs> Come on, guys. No, um, I uh, I had one thought. I'm sorry, and this might be something you want sure. to edit in some other place. But um, I actually, in in, con in uh, reference to uh, the movie being like a lot of different movies, like Rosemary's Baby, The Invitation, what have you. Um, I actually went to high school with Matt Manfredi, who wrote co-wrote The Invitation. And I'm oh, wow, in wow. such a small world that I'm also then producing another movie, my next movie, with one of the producers of The Invitation. And I, I, I then, no, but here's the thing. I went to Matt when we were making the movie and we went to like, you know, a place called Beer Belly where they have fried Twinkies and really good beer. And I, you know, he'd read the script and I was like, so what do you think? Is it, is it close to you? He's like, it's nothing to do with our film. And I was like, okay, good, good. But I got it from the horse's mouth. That he thinks it has nothing to do, you know, with the film, and of course I you know, bought him that Twinkie and that beer. Uh, and, then, and then our uh, other producer, Lindsay Lazzanella, she's like, ah, no. She watched the film. She's like, ah, no, 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 no. It's a whole different thing. And I was like, oh, oh no, good. they're completely, got, completely, completely different, different, completely different speeds, completely yeah, different. Yeah, I mean, just different, and you know, they're doing different things. And don't worry. So from them, I felt good about it that it wasn't too close in that regard. Mm -hmm. So anyway, there you are. Now, uh, just uh, kind of expand upon your thought there, Alok. Um, 
tell us a little bit about what it was like to watch this film play out on set. I mean, there's some brutality that happens in this movie. Um, what was that like kind of time, you know, seeing? I mean, we're shooting this all out of sequence to some extent, right? So it's sort of like a thing where like Dave was so good about like he had 15 days to shoot this initially, right? And so he's keeping everyone in their sort of head spaces where they need to be for every different part we're shooting out of sequence and stuff like that. So for us, like, you know, it's it it was really, you know, crazy to see the brutality and stuff. But, you know, we it's it's all like we shot a little bit more of the more brutal scenes in the in the reshoots, if I can say that. Mm, okay. Um, and so when we when we did that, um you you know you noticed where we didn't get it the first time in the first sort of set of fifteen days and where we needed to get it the second time. And so Dave did such an exquisite job of like getting everything we exactly needed from Nicole that we didn't get before within that. So all the brutality you talk about is something he thought about, like had a couple months. We had, you know, we actually couldn't shoot through the reshoots for eight months because oh, all wow. our actors are so good and, and working and popular and whatever else. And to kind of, so to speak, bring the band back together took, took a second. Um, mm-hmm. So he had some time to think about it. He's also editing this thing like every day. Also, he had a baby in addition to that. Oh, so God. this is the most like whatever. And like I always tell David because David had a baby like like right after we finished shooting the the first fifteen days, and we thought he'd be editing and all this good stuff. And he's just like you know trying to stay awake and not lose his mind and trying to edit a movie. And oh, like God. we're all like sort of pissed at him by April. We're like, God damn it, Marmer, get it together, get us a goddamn director's cut. Uh, and then. I have my baby right before the reshoots, and I was like, I'm so sorry, David. I'm so, <laughs> so sorry. Like, I, you know, he was just like, like Yoda, like, don't worry. I, da, da, da. I appreciated that phone call. Yeah. <laughs> it, had been, it had been a rough few months. Yeah. So, you know, it all came together in that regard. We try, I mean, let's, we trusted each other in terms of what we were seeing, in terms of what we were seeing brutality wise. Like, listen, like, my favorite phrase from the director as a producer is, Moving on. And, and <laughs> we had such good actresses and actors. Like, I mean, Nicole Bryden Bloom could get it on the first take. And if we hadn't had her, and like Dave says this all the time, I don't know if we would have finished this movie. I mean, we, we had to go back and get reshoots anyways. That's a whole different thing, but not because of her. I mean, we she yeah. was like one take, boom, done. Uh, so we got very lucky in answering. I hope I answered your question in there in some way. The oh, brutality yeah. was there. But also just the amount of time we had to make this was was crazy. And we had a lot of other stuff going on in the background that just yeah. we'll, we can get into in maybe another question. But, uh, yeah, there was a lot of stuff. Well, what? You know, we, we, uh, yeah, we had <laughs> – okay. I'll go through it real quick, but there's a uh, there's a uh, article that a uh, movie maker magazine that you can look up that just tells you everything you want to hear with all the, like, juicy details and stuff. But but no, I'm gonna t- I'm gonna tell it I'm gonna tell but I'm saying there's three things that happened in this film that were horrible from a producing standpoint. One, we had these fires that were uh, right near the Getty Museum, and our production office happened to be on the other side of the 405. So those almost burned down, and we couldn't go oh to them God. like four days before shooting. Then we had three of our top actors drop out: the per- uh, Nicole, uh, the Sarah part, the Brian part, and also Miss Stanhope. Jesus. In one day, we lost all three of them, and we were four days from shooting, right? Oh, my gosh. So that's one thing. And now I'll tell Naomi's story uh, that she wants to hear. Uh, the truck. So we parked our production trucks, three of them, outside our production offices, which, you know, thank God didn't burn down. And they're kind of in a, a nicer part of town. I mean, they consider it uh, from the zip code to be Bel Air, but it's a, along a busy street, Sepulveda. Yeah, sure. And um, 
we we were in the middle of the night. I got a text, which I didn't answer. I answered it in the morning. It said, something really bad has happened, but I think oh, it's no. going to be okay. And I wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning. We're working 18-hour days at this point because we don't have a lot of time to shoot. And I'm like, what happened uh, to the other producer? And they're like, well, at 3 o'clock in the morning, a white Escalade with no plates pulled up to the three trucks that were parked on the road. And three guys got out, broke into the first truck, and then drove off with it. Within like oh eight, eight minutes, they had stolen this truck. What they didn't know was that we had a, a parking PA who was sitting in the middle truck watching all this happen. And thank God they didn't try to come and get the other two trucks because oh I can't God. even imagine what would have happened there because that guy is like, you know, that he's aggressive. So what happens is that the parking PA gets out of the truck and gets in his own car and then follows the truck. And he goes across like three different freeways in LA, the 405 to the 10 or the 110. Holy and shit. He's on the phone with the police. Like on the 911, and he's calling them and talking to them, and they're like, Sir, you need to stand down. And he's like, I'm not going to stand down. I will not stand down until you get behind this truck and you're in hot pursuit of it. And so, what happens is that uh, you get to the 110 and you have the Felix sign, which you see, it's an iconic sign in LA. That's where the helicopter light went on the truck, and then three cop cars rushed in. Holy shit. And the guy tries to, now that, this is on TV now, by the way. So now, now uh, the guy tries to get off the freeway near USC, and he's just gunning the truck all over the place, and he's destroying the engine, which we had to pay a deductible on or whatever. Sucked. But uh, so they pull him over in the Chevron slash McDonald's station, and they like, this is, all on, this is all on TV, by the way. Like, if you go to that article, you can see the footage of this guy. Jesus. He, he's apparently quite handsome. Uh, he's a handsome, oh, he's handsome guy, but he's a son of a bitch. Uh, <laughs> they always that. are a look. They, they always, always are. are. I know, but so anyway, so what happens is that the police are extremely nice to him, by the way. So like you can say what you want about the LAPD, but they were nice to him. And uh, they took him and apparently he was part of this, uh, this truck stealing ring who had never been caught before. They were trying to drive the truck down to Tijuana and strip oh it and do whatever God. else to steal the material out of it. It was all our lighting material, actually. And so um, he apparently was new to the ring and turned state's evidence. And we're supposed to get like restitution one day, but I've ne- we've never seen a dime of it. So I don't, I'm not holding my breath for that. But uh, yeah, it was like a horrible situation. But what we did is we didn't tell anybody. We didn't tell David. We didn't tell any of the actors. We just said, hey, listen, <laughs> we're starting an hour late. Get an hour late, hour more sleep if you want, you know. And then we went on our merry way, trying to like get a truck in there and do whatever else. And we really Damn. didn't tell anybody because like we had a fifteen day shoot. We don't want people talking about this. We don't need them thinking about this. We need them to think yeah. about a goddamn movie. And so we didn't do any. We didn't tell anybody about this until like the rap party, I want to say. And then some <laughs> of the people, some of the actors, we didn't even tell until we were at Fantasia doing our premiere and we told like a story of like, well, we're Q and A. We were doing a Q and A. So they got to hear the story then. They were like, what the hell? So yeah. <laughs> I want to say you also showed the footage on the screen at Fantasia Fest as well. Which, 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 is which just ironically is on the DVD, which comes out <laughs> on June 2nd. 2020. Coming up very soon. June 2nd, 2020. That's a a producer right there. That's incredible. Well done, Alok. Well done. Um, Dave, question for you. Um, you Thinking about Nicole. Um, Tell us a little bit more about Sarah. She's a super complex character. She's a badass, truly. Um, And as you were forming and, and crafting the story and her character... What were the most important things for you when it came to Sarah? And were there any ideas about her that you eventually had to leave behind? Oh, um, I mean, 
probably too many to to even get yeah, into. Sure, uh, sure. My 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 writing process is, um, uh, you know, as a local probably come to learn and hate. It's very slow and iterative. <laughs> I I go through lots of drafts, and it takes me a long time to do each one. Um, it just yeah, I, I I just have to kind of find it as I go. Um, you know, like I said earlier, Sarah is in a lot of fundamental ways based on me. So there was a core that that wasn't that wasn't changing that was always there, um, and that's you know, I think a lot of times, almost any time I write anything, the central character is going to be some version of me or some aspect of me is going to be kind of the the core of that character, and so for her, it was really it was the way I felt as a person when I, when I arrived Mm -hmm. in LA, which I think is, you know, I think there are a lot of people who, you know, I mean, on the other hand, a lot of people I knew in film school seemed to be totally, they were much more Lisa, you know, they, they just had this kind of inbuilt confidence and they were sure that they were going to be the next Spielberg and like everything they did was great. And I was completely the opposite. I, you know, I just didn't have any confidence and I arrived here and looked around and saw 10,000 people trying to do what I was doing, you know, and you know, why, why should anybody pay any attention to me? Um, and so that, that always was kind of the, the core of the character. And then at some point as I was writing it, I started to kind of fuse her with, um, some stories of some, some sort of life stories of people I knew, um, uh, who had had one of my very close friends had had a really difficult relationship with her father. Um, and there was something that I found really interesting about a person who had grown up with a lot of privilege, but not a lot of freedom, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so that, that felt like it played into this, this whole idea that she's looking for a surrogate family, you know, that, that her, her father has been this, this very dominating, but kind of negative presence in her life. Um, so those, those sort of came together and and that formed really the core of her in terms of things that dropped out from her character. Um, there's not really much like the, 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 a lot of details about the story changed a lot, but the central character is sort of the core of who she was, uh, stayed pretty, pretty similar. I got into a little bit more detail. Um, there, there used to be flashbacks. You never read this, Elope, but there used to be flashbacks to um, taking care of her mother, mm. sort of mm. getting more into that backstory. Interesting. Um, and then I ended up dropping that, A, because you know it just was taking too much time, but B, because I felt like just knowing that she had that past was enough. And then you saw the relationship she had with Miss Stanhope. And I felt like it was going to be repetitive to then see sort of the same relationship with, with the mother. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I hope that answers the question. I, yeah, well, it does. You know, I, I'd also tell you this, too. Like we cut out uh, a part that was just so heartbreaking uh, as a producer. Heart, yeah, so, heartbreaking so, for you. So, so much money was spent <laughs> on this part. And, like, you know, there's a part in the film where uh, we had Sarah try to kill herself yeah and it's a really intricate part and we, we had this like makeup on her neck where she had tried to do that and we had to like like digitally take that out 
Oh, wow. <laughs> like oh no. So that was also a hard part in terms of Sarah's character of where another part she, she, would, she could have been like bigger or whatever, or more rebellious in some way. But it kind of like, it was weird because mm. in his first cut, he had just taken it out. We we're like, what the fuck? And he was just like, it works better. And we're like, yeah, it <laughs> fucking works better. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, they, yeah. I mean, th- thank you for writing her. Because, like, you know, like I said earlier, I, I um, you know, I love Final Girls. And um, and uh, I really did mean it when I say she's a badass. Like by the end of the film, and I won't say what happens, listeners. But by the end of the film, I was like, "Fuck, I didn't expect that really," and that was really mm-hmm. surprising and cool. So, Good, yeah. I mean, I felt yeah that that to me was what sort of is redeeming about the movie in some ways. That you know, through this horrible ordeal, like at least she has gained some strength that she didn't know she had before. You know, Amen. Um, so yeah. Yeah, and the same for the cult leader. I mean, there were parts where I was yelling at the screen oh. that he's awful, and then there were certain parts where he convinced me that they, they were right. So and I would say this. It's almost like American History X, right? I always make this example. It's a terrible example, but it's a good example, where, like, Edward Norton is so good in that movie for the first, like, ha- you know, half of it when he's, like, the white supremacist that he's saying all these things, and you're kind of almost like, yeah, that might be right. And you're like, what am I saying? This is terrible. Like, I don't want yeah. to believe this at all. But you've got to get to a place where you're with the cult, at least, for example, where you're like, yeah. well, I mean, they do have good intentions. They it could have made it, you know, sexual or something like that, but they don't. And it's yeah. really kind of like, they seem like they really believe and stand by their sort of like mottos and stuff. Yeah, that was know? that was like I was saying when I was talking about Synanon, that was kind of an important thing for me to to try to create an ethos for them that felt appealing to me that I felt like, you know, if you actually could have a world that ran by this kind of community spirit, it would be great. Um, but obviously, like the way they go about it is is horrifying. But you know, the direction that I gave to everybody who was in the community, and Naomi, you'll remember this, was, you know, you guys are the good guys. I didn't want any hint of sadism or of, you know, we are we are the we are the evil oppressors. You know, these are people who who don't, who, you know, who it the, who the leader is is not actually important, right? They all believe in these principles, and they all believe, you know, they all believe that they are helping the world. Um, and that was, you know, something I really tried to make sure that, that every member of the community was, was fully embodying. Especially that cute Giles. Holy shit. My <laughs> yes. God. Hi Giles. Yeah. I'm single. <laughs> Here, here's, here's what'll, here's what'll, here's what'll make Giles even more attractive. This blew me away because we got on set, you know, we would do a scene and then we'd say cut and suddenly he's British, like super yeah. oh, British, like the accent just turns off. Yeah, like, and I'm like, wow, like, sign me up, motherfucker. Yeah, I'm in. Yeah, let's go. Come on, hop in. You know, the, fu- the funny thing about Giles is like, we were uh, so we lost all the people in one day, right? Like, and so now we lost everybody on like a Monday. We're shooting on a Thursday. We pushed everything back to the next Monday. Nicole said yes right away, so we got her out as soon as we could, and and, and Dave got an afternoon, I want to say, of uh, rehearsal with her. But come Friday, we didn't have the Miss Stanhope character, and we didn't have the Brian character played by Giles. And so what happened was that uh, basically I get, a re- I get a bunch of reels, and we're desperate to find somebody because we're starting on Monday, right? And at 9 o'clock in the morning, I get Miss Stanhope's reel. Uh, Susan Davis, who's amazing. She's the mother in War Games. And I, I look at the mm. reel, and at the end, there's a phone number. And I call the phone number, thinking it's going to be her agent or manager, but it's not. It's her. It's her. And I'm like, ah, well, listen, this is highly inappropriate. 
but um, I'm going to pitch you the movie, and I'm going to pitch you us. And she was like, oh, okay. Uh, I've never been in a cult movie before. And like, I was like, by 11.30, we had signed her. Now fast forward to like Barney's Beanery, and it's 6.30 at night, or almost 7, I want to say. And we're just like drinking and like, I don't even know if we're going to have a movie. We don't have the male lead yet. Like, and we're trying to call people to call in favors, like Jason Blum and like his, his uh, head of um, post-production, Philip Daw, to, to tell them to please tell CAA or whoever it is to stay open late. And finally, like around seven, we get a call from Gersh. And by the way, Gersh helped us so much. Gersh was amazing. They were, uh, Rhonda Price was so invaluable in terms of helping us with this film. And um, it's it's them telling us we, we got Giles. And what we found out was that he was actually like driving down from like San Francisco or Santa Barbara or something. And uh, he had to pull over to the side of the road and then read read the, the script on his uh, iPhone. Oh, and God. he just read his part and said yes. And we were like, Fuck yeah, we're making that a movie. That is so fucking cool. <laughs> yeah, so that's, yeah. But uh, everyone showed up on Monday, and we were able to start. So that was the relief, because we were like, they might not show up on Monday. It's just, just the way this is going. Like, oh, my <laughs> so, God. Mm-hmm. Incredible. Yeah, it happened, though. Thank God. And uh, Naomi, just one last question for you. Um, you know, when you created, or when the when the role was given to you on American Horror Story of Pepper, did you think that this was going to take off like this, where you were going to have like this huge fan base just for that character? Oh, not at all. Um, I mean, kind of like with Janice, I was excited to just show my face. I was just mm-hmm. excited to have a job. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I'd been going, I'd gone on like 22 years of, you know, auditioning, uh, on avail, callbacks, you know, and then crickets. And so, uh, you know, when they cast me I thought I mean I just figured I was one of like an army of pinheads like it never occurred to me that I was like the looniest in the asylum um (laughs) you know and especially it just didn't make any sense like why why me like you want to pay me like top of show to shave my head you know when you have like all these other like major name actors also playing basically itty bitty roles, you know what I mean? Like there, yeah. it, it was. Um, so no, it, it never occurred to me. And, and and not only like why would it? But really, it's not the actor's job. Like mm-hmm. we don't decide these things. You know what I mean? Like um, I mean, not only w- did I not even get full scripts. Like I only got the pages I was in. Wow. So oh, wow. you know, I knew like on page. 30 pepper goes pee and that's it that's all i get you know (laughs) so of course i wouldn't know that like pepper was gonna be anything like she didn't look like anything not on paper anyway you know but um i i think they didn't even know like i really get a feeling especially um you know they kind of i mean i i can't speak for now now they've probably got all the scripts written for now on new eternity because what else do they have to do other than watch one br um, but you know, at the time they were, you know, writing as they went. And I think they, I, I really believe they kind of went into that day room and took a look around and they've got, you know, the guy with Tourette's here and the, you know, nymphomaniac there. And, you know, they're kind of assessing it, it was sort of like Jackson Pollock style filmmaking where they just like throw a bunch of cuckoos in a room and like see what mm-hmm. sticks. And I think, you know, pepper stock. Um, and that's why we, you know, got to see more of her 
um, you know, later on in, in other seasons. But and, she, and yeah. she can also come back is the great thing, I think, uh, in terms of the way they sort of, we're not spoiling the whole series, but if you haven't watched it by now, it's been like, I don't know, 10 years. Yeah, where have you like been? And, and why are you listening to our show? Well, you should be doing both. But. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, we love seeing you come up as Janice in oh, this yeah. movie. So we're, there's very, very nice surprise. Well, again, it's another, um, as Dave was saying before, you know, there's no small parts, only small actors. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, yeah, she, Janice is uh, not Sarah. But, um, you know, she's just like he said. Like, um, uh, Janice is a main character in her world, um, you know. And so you've got to uh, treat her as There's as such. There's a and, love. Yeah. There's a love in her. Um, and, you know, I, I won't say to listeners what happens, but you see it, you know, trust it me. It comes out. You see it. Yeah. No, and yeah. Naomi elevates that that role. Big time. It's, yeah. And, and I mean, really, there's a love in everybody. Um, you know, there's even a love in the, the woman that Sarah runs into when she's first being chased. That's not a spoiler. And she thinks that this is like a normal person, right? You should, um, you should give her a shout, Dave, because she's amazing. Yeah, yeah, that's that's my friend Ernestine Phillips. Ooh, she who, good. Um, so, so Ernestine and uh, and Alan Blumenfeld, who plays Sarah's father, uh, we all did theater together for years oh. um, at a, a Shakespeare repertory company in Topanga called uh, Theatricum Botanicum. That is so cool. Um, yeah, so they're they're theater friends, and I pretty much cast Ernestine in anything I possibly can. She's fantastic. She's, like, she's a wonderful person. She's a wonderful actor, and she brings this this energy that's just so great. Um, yeah, her, her, her line about the dinner party is still one of my favorite <laughs> moments in the, in the movie. Um, but yeah, so yeah, she's, she's, she's wonderful. You can hear that line when you stream one BR tonight. Yes. Um, I was, I was, was going to say Taylor Nichols though. We have to give yeah. him a shout as well because he, uh, he, he was one of my, uh, I love the movie Metropolitan in Barcelona and I, yeah. I, I met him at a party and I basically accosted him, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, Taylor Nichols, I love you!" And da 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 da. And um, if I ever have a movie, I will definitely call you. I have a Metropolitan poster at my house, and he was just like, <laughs> "Seriously?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I do." <laughs> so a year later, I called him, and I was like, "I have a movie for you. I'm the crazy Indian guy. So I have a Metropolitan poster at my house," and he's like. <laughs> Uh, okay, I'll, I'll read okay. it. Like, You're the Metropolitan like, poster guy. Yeah, I know. Well, I mean, that's what he... He, I he remembered t- you. He did, and actually, he he brought me to a screening of Metropolitan Barcelona with Whit Stillman, and I made Whit Stillman, like, he wouldn't sign it because he's like, ugh, it's not going to last on this class. So he wouldn't do it. He's like, I'll get you next time. But I brought it for him. That is awesome. <laughs> it didn't happen. That is so cool. And and to that end, too, to, I mean, for really, like, for, for streaming 1BR and getting it in front of people... You know, this is a weird time. Like, you know, I know, for example, it was supposed to be at Music Box Theater here in Chicago, which, you know, if if you've never seen before, Music Box is our storied old movie house. It's one of our favorite places in the world. Um, Incredible place. And thankfully, they are streaming it through their own subscription service thing right now. I think there's only two or three more days left, if I'm not mistaken. That that is true. Uh, So people should get out I I went to college in Chicago. I went to Northwestern. Oh. So that mm. breaks my heart even more. It's a hop, skip, and a jump from us. We live live right by Evanston. If if people listening have the time and the means to to do it that way, please do. Like these theaters, I, I'm really afraid we're going to just lose theaters. We are too as a place to watch 
watch independent film, you know, then all that's going to be left is, is Disney theaters. Um, yeah. Yeah. So please, please, please do whatever you can to support as these theaters. As soon as this is over, all I'm doing is going to theater. Andrew, you've got a final question right here. Yeah, so really, I mean, we know that we're kind of stuck inside right now, but what are some of the projects that you guys are working on right now, kind of in this downtime? Uh, well, um, I am actually, as, remember I alluded a little earlier to how slow I write, uh, I'm using this time to do another pass on my next script, which I will not tell you the title of because Alok got mad at me the last time I did that. <laughs> but uh, Alok and Shane um, and our other producer, Sam, are um, going to be producing that. Um, and I'm really excited about it. It's a script that is very near and dear to me. Um, and I could not be more thrilled to be re-teaming with the, the gang and, uh, and making that happen. It's so good, cool. by the way. Can I just tell you? And this is the reason we're J.J. Abramsing the shit out of that because we just want to keep that mystery in the box Hell for yeah. a second if we can. I think it's just smart in this day and age. Everyone gets everything immediately. We're not telling you shit right now. But, That's uh, exciting. And, and, but you know, Dave's just putting finishing touches on it and stuff. So we'll see. We're doing another project right before that because he's still writing his thing. We were supposed to be shooting it now, actually, uh, as a movie called Emergent. It's with uh, Marcel Sarmiento, who did the movie Dead Girl, if you've ever seen it. It's a great film. Mm -hmm. Yep. And uh, Lindsay Lanzanetta from The Invitation, also helping us produce it. And Shane Borser, my producing partner as well. So we're trying to do that uh, first when we get out of this lockdown and stuff like that. We've been seeing all the different sort of like... Uh, missives that they have for shooting things and right now it still doesn't make sense because it's going to take you twice as long in terms of distancing mm -hmm. everybody from each other and having to like you know, it's like you know a 30 day shoot it's a 60 day shoot I don't have money for 60 days so it's like that's what's going on we're waiting for that to happen and then we're going to do Deus Project next so we can't wait for to, to get back together get the band back together so to speak that's awesome so that's what it is for for us at least is Janice in it? <laughs> I mean I don't. I, it's, for, for, it's, yeah, it's ask not, David. I mean, it's not part. It's not part of the one BRCU. Mm. Yeah. So it's Naomi. We'll have to. We'll have to find a different role for you. A different okay, role. Uh, that's all I care about. But yeah, Naomi, I mean, I mean, beyond Janice, what's next for you? Um, well, only because you mentioned you're in Chicago, you'll appreciate. Just today, uh, it was announced that a um, a video game that I voiced, uh, Mafia, ah. is is out, is um, coming out in August. That's but so today cool. was the the official announcement, um, which I don't know if there's a lot of. Um, crossover b between like horror fans and gamers oh big time i would imagine as you might imagine yeah 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 of course nerds are nerds right yeah exactly um but uh yeah there's a uh a, they're doing a remake of the old you know iconic 2002 uh mafia game that's so cool uh it's all redone and i'm uh, i have a very thick chicago accent which hopefully you'll <laughs> approve of i don't know uh, Naomi, you gotta you gotta give us a taste of some give us a line of dialogue oh god i don't i mean it's all period you know it's 1930s it's like the gangster you know i'm a mob wife awesome. um and um uh i honestly don't remember any of my lines like i i forget everything um the, the you're, minute you're i've done it like you're it's gone. So, so i couldn't um but uh it was fun you know i was like you know, I get killed like a million times because it's <laughs> it's a video game. You know what I mean? Was so it, if you if you go this way, I die this way. If I 
<laughs> What's that? Was it because of the voice though? Like, hey, come over here, husband. I'm and like, ah, I can't take you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's really interesting when you're in the booth. They're like, okay, now you're falling out of a car, and and but now now the car is driving like much faster. You know, now fall out of it like. You know, you're you're dying by Uzo versus dying by like a small pistol. Like they're very different deaths. That is that's that's um that's incredible. It's fun. Anyway, so that that happened today. That's awesome. Um, it was announced that it's it's not only exist in in existence, but that I'm involved. So that's, that's really kind of fun. Cool. Um, during quarantine, you know, it's very hard. Like there's nothing going on yeah. of course mm-hmm. um i'm working on a new one woman show awesome. which is sort of my thing um i've done two previously and i um so i'm working on a third which i also wish i could um give tell you the title because it's sort of everything but um yeah i i want to wait sure, for sure. the big reveal for that but uh let's just say that um Horror and especially American horror story fans will be satiated. Yes, yes. Cool. You know the other thing you might want to mention. Speaking of Chicago, is that you have a classmate from Chicago, uh, Ken Risboy, which you did a movie with him too. Ah, oh, that's true. Yeah. yeah, another since we're streaming because One BR is only what ninety minutes. Yeah. And we're going to be in this quarantine for a whole lot longer than that. There is another movie you can stream with me in it. It's called A Murder RX. Ooh. And um. Mm. It's less horror and more sort of psychological thriller. Um, Write me a prescription, doctor. I'm going to take it right now. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, yeah. So uh, anyway, but it's true. One of my um, classmates from Northwestern awesome. um, directed, which was really fun because, you know, we remember, I mean, he was an old roommate of mine yeah. once, you know, and, and we always dreamt of like the day we'd one day work together and then it, it finally happens. So I love that. Yay. Well, you know what? It sounds like you're all making good time of this shitty time that we're in. And I hope that part of the best time you've experienced was talking to me and Andrew, because it's been a great time for us and super lovely. Thank Aww. you. This was so much fun, you this guys. This killed a whole hour. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, it flew by. So thank you all so yeah. much for being with I us. I could have kept on going with this all day. Listen, there, there, <laughs> what are you guys doing? there can always be a part two, you know? I'm, hey. I'm not. I'm not doing anything. I'm always looking for an excuse not to write. Sorry, Olivia. <laughs> I live. Yeah, and I'm also uh, looking for an excuse not to hang out with my baby. Uh, <laughs> and also, and also drink. <laughs> so it doesn't turn into The Shining over here. Everyone's like this, like wallpaper in the background always looks like The Shining. A little bit. And yeah. I'm like, yeah. I'll, I'll work and no play makes a little good dull boy. I had Rosemary's baby's hair at the beginning of this, and now True. look at me. <laughs> Well, thanks so much, Alok, David, and Naomi for joining us. Listeners, you can stream you can stream One BR right now on Apple TV, YouTube, Amazon Prime, Google Play. I think pretty much all the things. Direct TV, uh, Direct TV, Dish Network. I'm sure on Comcast, you, 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 I'm sure you can too. And for you Chicago folks, you know, Alok mentioned this earlier, um, but you know, you can stream the film from our friends at the Music Box for just a little bit longer. Um, so please go and do that if you can. Check out their website. You'll find all the information on there for wherever you live many independent theaters you can also do this you all know the importance of keeping these beautiful old movie houses in business because we need them when we come back to reality 
Um, we hope you all stay safe and stay healthy. We love you. We miss you very much. And as usual, and as always, Andrew and I invite you to get slayed. Get slayed. Get slayed.